Hello, and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And we are really digging into that shared human past today, because uh, today is the first in a series, short series, on human evolution. Yeah, and this is a massive topic, so we'll be doing it in at least two installments. Yeah. And the goal here is to take you through each of our known hominin ancestors and a few earlier family members, but also to discuss some of the big evolutionary trends that happened along the way to making humans human. So, to start off, don't panic, we're traveling back 145 million years. Whoa. The earliest known ancestors of the mammal lineage, so that's us, and blue whales and pygmy shrews and dogs, dogs. and cats and horses. Yes, dogs. Um, so the, the earliest known ancestors of all mammals were most likely nocturnal, rodent-like creatures that evolved around 145 million years ago. And we will include this image that I found on the website, which is just of an artist's representation of, of said creatures, but it's just this like very moody nocturnal scene with some kind of predatory bird eating one of them and then a close-up shot of one of them kind of yelling and the moon's in the distance and there are some sauropods gently wading through the waters in the far distance it's very yeah, beautiful you know you got three wolf moon this is five sauropod <laughs> moon yeah this is three shrew moon um <laughs> But also, if you've seen Ice Age, the uh, 3D animated movie, the character Scrat, that little squirrely guy who's always chasing after his acorn, that's, there's a reason that they included him as a character, um, because our humble roots are as a small rodent. Oh, it so. wasn't just their, their interest in balanophagy among rodents? Yes, listeners, you can now work balanophagy, the eating of acorns, into your everyday parlance. Enjoy! Um, so moving on to, we're going to skip forward several million years and talk about ancestral primates first. So now we've moved from mammals to primates, a specific group within mammals. And the first of our ancestral primates on the family list is Egyptopithecus. And this is an early, well, it's about the size of a modern howler monkey and probably looked quite a bit like a monkey. And this um, species predates the split between apes and New World monkeys. And Egyptopithecus lived around 30 million years ago, and we've found fossils of it in what is now Egypt, hence the name. So it took 115 million years to get from little rodent things to monkeys? More or less. And so I thought we didn't come from no monkey. This okay. guy's a monkey? And he's our ancestor? What? <laughs> One of those things is true. So Egyptopithecus is our ancestor, but it's also the ancestor of all apes and monkeys because it's before the split between monkeys and the branch that would eventually continue branching off into humans. So there's a number of splitting points that we're going to talk about. Um, and at each of these divergences, there are groups of primates to whom we are related, but to but who are not our direct ancestors. In this case, Egyptopithecus is our ancestor because it's so far back. Okay. So yeah. so, so it, we didn't come from monkeys. Okay. You but, are correct. Okay. And so is it monkeyish? Does it have like the terrifying teeth that I learned about from monkey shines? <laughs> what was what was, <laughs> what was Egyptopithecus working with? 
Egyptopithecus had a tail. And if you saw it today in the wild, I think you would probably assume it was a monkey. It had grasping hands and feet, so it was probably arboreal. And yeah, it had um, kind of monkeyish teeth, but the really cool thing about its teeth, and especially its molars, Egyptopithecus has something called a Y5 molar. And so for a long time, um, people who study fossil primates thought that Egyptopithecus was actually much closer to humans on the evolutionary scale because we have Y5 molars. Y5? So we have, yes, we have molars that emit Y. That would actually be really great if we had Wi-Fi emitting molars. No, the, a, the, letter y, <laughs> the letter Y and the number five, Y5. Okay. So we have that shape of molar as well. And so people were confused. And it turns out that actually humans have... A, a derived um, ancestral form of molars. And so our dentition has changed a lot over the whole course of evolution, but our molars are the same type as Egyptopithecus. Well, In a neat. like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of way? Probably. Like Egyptopithecus nailed, like nailed molars, like right out of the gate. Well, the thing like, is, primates that split off from Egyptopithecus, like later... Monkeys and lemurs, like the, the Lemuridae, they have different teeth. So their teeth evolved differently, and probably because diet changed. Right. Um, okay. Not, yeah. So yeah. Uh, does that mean that our diet now, like evolutionarily, like Homo sapiens diet resembles that of Egyptopithecus? No, not really. Just that it, um, it, it didn't. Okay. Just that these <laughs> molars work for, for what we got. I okay. guess there was no, there was no evolutionary benefit to a change in in the dentition, uh, you know, in all of the species that descended from Egyptopithecus and gradually led to Homo sapiens along that direct line, uh, we've had similar type molars. The size has varied, but the the construction of the molar has not changed. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's weird, huh? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so from it come chimps and monkeys yeah. and mm -hmm. like so. The greater and lesser apes, and then also monkeys. Yep. Okay. So that there are three different things. We've got greater apes, lesser apes, which rude, and monkeys. Yeah. So I mean, it broadly splits into apes and monkeys. These okay. are two things. Okay. Apes okay. are split into greater and lesser apes, and it's not a designation based on their merit. It is based on their size. Okay. So <laughs> your great apes are your gorillas, orangutans. Chimps, bonobos, and humans, we are great apes. Um, and then gibbons are lesser apes. So they're apes, but they're small. So there's one lesser ape? There's lots of different types of gibbon. Oh. oh. I didn't I mean, know there's, that. there's some gibbons. Okay. You're, you're giving me a hard time. Ah! <laughs> so to further split this up, once you split apes and monkeys... You have old world monkeys and new world monkeys. And so... Like, like monkeys world... in space? <laughs> That's brave new world monkeys. Off, off world monkeys. <laughs> in Blade Runner. <laughs> it's 2019. It's coming. Okay. Old world monkeys. Let me do my job. Okay. <laughs> there are old world monkeys. These are the ones... They're, they're called catarines from the Greek kata. 
downward facing. And so these are the ones with long noses like macaques and mandrills and baboons. And so typically they are found in Africa and Asia. And then New World monkeys split off from these back when the continents were still connected. Um, They moved to what would become the the New World, so Central and South America. And these are typically flat-faced, small monkeys like tamarins, spider monkeys, and capuchins. Oh, tamarins is like what you make chutney out of. No, that's tamarind. Oh. Tamarinds are little monkeys. They're little little monkeys? monkeys with their little snub noses. Yeah, like a cotton top tamarind. They're the ones that have like the Einstein hair and the like golden lion tamarind. They have these like glorious manes of hair. I'm not familiar. I so, okay, well, okay, but Google okay, when you get a but chance. A, but a howler monkey is also flat faced and typically small because I met one of those and I nearly soiled myself when it opened its little mouth yeah they make a lot of noise for something oh so God, small so i think scary. they create like they are the animal on land that creates the most decibels with their vocalization mm-hmm. yeah they're Very so scary. loud yeah yeah mm-hmm. and, and like when you're like out in a rainforest and they start going it if you like you feel like you're on jurassic park well uh yeah that's a new world monkey Woof. So next next on our ancestor list, so we are moving forward in time, mm-hmm. we have Proconsul. Oh, we have Julius Caesar. Is... <laughs> no, this I don't understand why this name stuck. So a proconsul <laughs> is a, a Roman political office, right? It's like, yeah. like sort of head head mayor kind of. And so um there was at the time that this fossil was named. There was a chimpanzee on display in London whose name was Consul. And so they named it Proconsul, meaning before Consul. Not in any reference to the Roman office. Don't understand. Anyway, this fossil's name is Proconsul, and it has a mixture of ape and monkey characteristics. So no tail, which is an ape characteristic, but it still has those curved hand and foot bones, so indicative of an arboreal lifestyle for grasping Mm -hmm. branches. Mm -hmm. And Proconsul lived around 25 million years ago in Eastern Africa. So we have fossils that were found in what is now Kenya and Uganda. So now we're moving on to our hominin ancestors. So this is where it starts to (laughs) ramp up on a very on a millions of years scale <laughs> towards Homo sapiens. So our first of these is Sahelanthropus chadensis, and this is the first in the human lineage. Chadensis lived 7 million years ago and had a chimp-sized brain, but the dentition was evolving towards smaller canines than other apes. This individual is really important because it's the first that we can tell in the human lineage that may have been bipedal. Maybe like how? What? Cause yeah. Like, okay. We found what have we found? Yeah, we only found a skull. So yeah, you don't walk with your skull. Well, what? in a way, you do. What? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the upside down. No, <laughs> no, it's not like that. So there's, um, and this is one way that uh, Paleolithic anthropologists and paleontologists have argued in the past that you can tell whether an animal is quadrupedal, walking on four legs, or bipedal, walking on two legs. Recently, it's been brought into question, so that's why this is such a maybe. But what we're talking about here is the foramen magnum, and that is the hole in your skull that your spinal cord enters. And okay. so, yeah. And so, 
in picture a human skeleton and you will note that the foramen magnum basically allows the spine to come up into the skull pretty much perpendicular to the ground, right? And right. so it's centrally located on the skull. If you picture an animal like a dog or a cat, the foramen magnum is back towards the back of the skull. Right. And so the spine enters uh, more parallel to the ground. And so animals that are quadrupedal tend to have a foramen magnum that's located you know, moved back towards the back of the skull and an animal that has a more bipedal stature will have a foramen magnum that's more central. But that may not be such a great indicator of bipedality. Oh. Um, yeah. So there like they could been, have been quadrupedal, but they just look down all the time? Well, it's it's more that they could have... So chimps are not habitually bipedal. They can kind of get up They can stop whenever they want. <laughs> it's not a habit. No, they um like they can kind of waddle. Like their gait they okay. they're not bipedal, but they can walk on two legs. And so can for example bears. Bears okay. can get up on their hind legs very easily, um you know, to get food that's high up or to climb. But if you look at a bear's skeleton, it has the foramen magnum placement of a quadruped. And so it's iffy. So the okay. the placement of the foramen magnum isn't a a dead on indicator of of bipedality, and so and we only have cranial fragments from Sahelanthropus chidensis, and so right now we don't really know. It's difficult to confirm. There is, however, possibly a femur conspiracy with Sahelanthropus oh. chidensis. Yes, what like it, I, it is conspiring? Like it is a co conspirator in something? No, it's dead. Oh, okay. I didn't know that if it had hatched a plant. No, there no. It uh its bones are the subject of maybe a conspiracy. Oh. So when the fossil was discovered, um the femur of maybe the same individual was discovered near the cranium, like really close to it, like like a foot away. <laughs> okay. A oh. foot ha, foot. Because it was a f leg bone. Okay. Um but that femur wasn't published ever. So 15 years after the discovery of the fossil, the anthropologist Roberto Machiarelli, who's a professor at the University of Poitiers and the Museum of Natural History in Paris, suspects that uh, Michel Brunet and the laboratory in Poitiers have blocked information about a potentially primate femur found close to the skull. So there's this bone that was just never published and there's there's this sort of drama mm. that Intrigue. That maybe, maybe, yeah, intrigue, like maybe um, information is being suppressed in some way. But I looked a little further into it and and the femur, um, it's missing both of its ends and a lot of the diagnostic features on it that would say something about whether the, the individual was bipedal or not are also damaged or missing. So whether or not it's been published, I mean, I think it should be published. You should always, you know, disseminate so information the, as you can, but like so the, the debate femur rages on. The unpublished femur. Yes. You found, what'd you find, like find it in like WikiLeaks or something? How'd you find this? <laughs> no, it was from a, a nature article. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it has now like the information is now out. Oh, I also okay. found. Okay. This is. Not... Yeah. I didn't, I'm not breaking this news story. Okay. Yeah. I was like, well, you really buried the lead here. What um, a scoop. I know. No, I also found an article written by John Hawks on his blog, 
And so um, that's where I found it first. And then I, I traced it back to the Nature article. Mm, and okay. um, yeah, the femur was originally, you know, it's a, a part of a femur originally discovered very close to the Sahelanthropus skull and not published for whatever reason. And that to some people was suspicious. So next on the list, we have a fella. Well, not a fella. Never mind. Next, next. on the list, we... <laughs> Thank you. Next. Next on the list, we have an individual called Auroran tugenensis, and this uh, species lived 6.2 to 5.8 million years ago, and specimens were first found in the Tugan Hills of modern Kenya. Yeah, so to- what does Auroran mean? Because uh, Sahelanthropus, Sahelanthropus, that, mm-hmm. that just refers to the Sahel, right? Like yeah, the the, yeah, the, the area between the Maghreb and like sub-Saharan Africa. So yes, but what is Auroran? What is that? It means original man in the in the Tugen language. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. And so we have actual femurs from this species. So that they indicate that with a number of traits that Aurora and Tugenensis walked upright, but also had some arboreal traits. So it still had those long curved finger and foot bones. And in terms of dentition, it had large ape-like canines and premolars. So probably a similar diet to a modern ape. Okay. So how much of, so how much of any of these that we've talked about do we actually have? Like, do we have like multiple individuals from each one? Do we have like, do we have some sense of their culture? Do we have like any families? Like they, like, is there any sense of, you know, like anthropology to this? Or are we just looking like finding like a bone and being like, this bone don't look like other bones, new species. (laughs) Like, what is it? What does this actually look like? So the farther back in time you get, that just as a general trend, the less stuff you find. And so for for the fossil apes and for Sahelanthropus and Auroran, what you have are just pieces. So Auroran, for example, as of 2007, there were just 20 specimens found. And by specimens, I don't mean individuals. I mean pieces of bone. Okay. So it's like a chunk of mandible, fragments of a humerus, like one finger, um, so the the information, I mean, you'll notice that the information I'm giving you on these early species is very, very basic. It's like they had legs. Right. They used them to walk. At least two of they them. They had some yeah. teeth. Yeah. So, you know, the information is really, really spotty the farther back in time we get. And so, it, you know, ideally we'd find lots and lots of fossils and really improve the resolution of what we know about how these uh, species lived and 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 walked and ate and stuff but we just don't have that information so a lot of it is is comparison with later species and a lot of it is comparison with modern apes and just sort of extrapolation from that okay but we know enough to know that sahelanthropus is not the same as auroran yeah so people more know- qualified than me know that Okay. Well, okay. Well, I just, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And so, but we also don't have enough to know whether sort of their tenures overlapped, right? Well, the dating suggests that they did. So 
A lot of what I used to research this episode comes from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History and the Human Origins website uh, attached. And they have this wonderful human evolution interactive timeline. And so it's got the climate phases that were going on at the time. It's all clickable. There's the different species that you can click on and a little pop-up comes up that shows you an image of, you know, what the, what we think that species look like and some basic facts. And then it shows like major milestones in human evolution. It's great. So a lot of stuff comes from that. And on this timeline, it shows that Chidensis and Tugenensis overlapped in time. I don't know for sure that they, like, I, I don't have a map that shows exactly where those finds are pinpointed. Right. And so I don't know if it's, if their territories would have overlapped, but a lot of these species, like it's not going to be in this episode, but when we get to the Australopiths, a lot of those species were probably around for at least part of their time on this planet. They were probably around in the same place at the same time. Yeah. And the so, South, I would assume. Yes. Australopiths. Yeah. Yay. But okay. So Kenya and Chad are kind of not super close, um, but I guess if there are portions, if not entire millions of years that they could have overlapped, it's, well, I, I guess I, like, the question is is really just about how the stuff that, the, the finger bone that was found in Denisova Cave last year, well, that was published last year, yeah. Um, about the That's hybrid. A jump forward. No, no, yeah. I know, I know. But like that, so just like thinking about things like that, like oh, people like, got so have... excited about that. And understandably, that this sort of like this brand new human meeting, was walking like, around. Yeah, like meeting well, not and brand new, new to us. Yeah. And and so is this we should Are like, you are you asking like sh- could they have met and interbred that kind of thing? Yeah, and and also like I guess I know that I asked this question that one time about the Denisova finds being like is this like a one off or is this a new a new thing? How do you know that how does one know when one is a paleoanthropologist that one is looking at something new because what, which actually one, I guess one takes doesn't us, well, always sometimes, takes a, sometimes yeah which okay so are we dealing with we're not dealing with a family tree are we we're dealing like with some weird gnarly no. shrub right yeah it's like a um so the book I'm reading that I'm gonna keep talking about <laughs> in this podcast <laughs> a brief a brief history of everyone that ever lived we're coming with you on this journey through that book episode yep. by this is like the third episode you've mentioned it in, I think which I, I love <laughs> but it it um, there's there's a chapter on like is this a family tree what what plant can we relate it to and actually yeah. it's sort of more of a mat like it's this dense weedy mat also of, we're like crabgrass yeah our family crabgrass really, yeah it's like a microbial mat um, yeah so it's really not a tree it's not a, a neat set of branching off it's sort of interrelation and things with gaps like especially this far back we don't have right. the whole plant we have some like potpourri that mm. we're dealing with yeah that wasn't Let's, a great answer to your question well it wasn't a great question so we're okay. we're on even footing here i just i two for two. i guess i'm just like having like a real epistemology problem here like <laughs> how do you know anything in this this is so not not that i think people know nothing in this it's like but how you get these like tiny little grains, like just the smallest well, the grains is, of knowledge. And it's it's amazing that there is a sort of a, an image at all that comes out of it. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that image, you know, ironically 
evolves over time. So, uh, you know, we, we find bits and pieces and people who know things say this does or this doesn't look like anything else we have. And maybe it's a particularly pathological individual of a species that we do know about. Like, for example, one of the first Neanderthals that was ever examined was a specimen from a site called Saint-Césaire. And that's the reason why reconstructions of Neanderthals are often portrayed as sort of hunched and stooped and sort of brutish looking. It actually turns out that this was like a 45-year-old individual with a lot oh, of like osteoporosis and arthritis. And It was our friend and, with the with the ear problem? Was no, he that's a different, different guy. Our image of Neanderthals is based on this early reconstruction, but that's actually not accurate. And so sometimes, you know, we have one finger bone and we don't think it's related to any known early hominin, but then it turns out we find some other pieces and, and we get more of the picture. So, you know, it's just a process of a very frustrating process of, of filling in the puzzle pieces and, and constantly shifting and updating what we know. Yeah. And and the things that we've and the things that have been excavated, like those are fossils, right? Like there you can't do like DNA yes. analysis because it's just No, rock. they're they're mineralized. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um and so after Aurorin, we have the point on the tree that is not a tree mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. chimpanzees split off into their own branch. So Aurorin is the last common ancestor that we know of between chimps and humans. Okay. And then chimps chimps go off onto their own evolutionary path. And so the path that we are staying on is the one that continues to evolve into humans eventually. Okay. So these next two are separated out into different species. They were originally, so jumping off of what we were just talking about, these two specimens were originally thought to be in the same species, but then more teeth from one of them are found. So this is this is Artipithecus cadaba and Artipithecus rambidus. So they are in the same genus, um, okay. Artipithecus. So they're in the same arty party? Oh, boy. They sure are. <laughs> um, so Artipithecus cadaba and rambidus were originally thought to be the same species, but then more teeth from Kadaba were found, and these were found to have more primitive features, meaning that this was actually likely an older species. And in fact, we, we've now determined, because more specimens have been found, that Kadaba lived around 5.8 to 5.2 million years ago in eastern Africa. And um, geological and paleontological evidence both suggest that Kadaba lived in an enclosed woodland environment, which is cool because the species was at least partially bipedal based on a number of, of physical traits. And so that contradicts this idea that um, developed with some of the early hominin finds that bipedalism only developed in open savanna environments. So we have these these ancestors living in trees and then the climate changes and there's more savanna. And so they have to get down from the trees and do stuff. Right, yeah. Like if they want to travel to new to new resources, they got to get down. Um, and so that's how bipedalism developed. And it actually looks like that might not be the case because this is a woodland species that was occasionally bipedal. And so uh, then we have Artipithecus ramidus that lived much later than Kadaba. So they are not, in fact, the same species 4.4 4 million years ago, as opposed to 5.8 to 5.2. And um, ramidus had a grasping big toe for tree climbing, but probably also walked upright. So feet developed for climbing, but legs that would allow bipedal walking. And um, the teeth of Artipithecus ramidus suggest 
um, kind of an omnivorous diet, a much less specialized diet than some of the earlier, more ape-like dentition. Both of these species had relatively small brains. So all of these these ancestral hominins that we're talking about um, up till now have pretty small brains, about chimp size. So 300 to 350 cubic centimeters, which is maybe like a softball or grapefruit size. So do we, do humans, like us humans, do we yes. have big heads? For I've never, hum- like, no, not you and yes. not do you and I have large heads. That's not what I'm asking. No, I know. <laughs> like, like, do we have like, do we have hat problems? But I, I've never, like, I, maybe this is the first time I've ever thought about this as far as like primates go. Um, it's not as though we're all packing the same size carry on, but like ours is packed better and it just has more brain in it. Like, do we have a bigger head? Yeah, the, like well, it's not our, the head so much. It's the ratio of head to body size. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's, we, that's we, we, do. Like, we have big like heads. A, so we've got yeah, relative heads. to our bodies, we have big old heads. But now that I've simplified things to fruit slash sports equipment, it's time for jargon. Yes. Let's talk about pedomorphic skull morphogenesis. So, Amber, do you want to use your classics knowledge and parse out what that means? Yeah, I'm going to guess that means child-shaped so, skull shape making. Yes, child shaped <laughs> skull shape making. That's actually that's exactly right. So, um, that's what, what that it means? means <laughs> that's what that means. Good job, Yay. you pass. Yay. So basically, what that means is, and this is a a quality of Artipithecus that then sticks with the rest of the hominins, is that gradually the skull starts resembling what a child version of that skull looks like, but into adulthood. So the skull retains features of a juvenile into adulthood. And that's something that's the case for humans relative to the earlier hominins. So uh, we have sort of flatter faces, we have big heads relative to our bodies. And so... um, What does that mean? That we, we have baby heads... Uh, it's a little jargony here. This is yeah. this is from a study, <laughs> but so basically, quote sub adult shape dimensions. So the child the baby shape, child shape head are retained okay. into the period of sexual maturity. Researchers think that this has to do with reduced aggression and increased social cooperation in groups. So the it's it's already known that in in primates and other mammals, when individuals of a species look at young of that species, they experience a lowering of aggression. In males, it has to do with a lowering of testosterone. And I I think for females, it's an uptick in oxytocin. But basically there is a hormonal response. It like makes you want to it's like looking at characteristics. Yeah, like things that have big eyes, like even if they aren't like that's why you think they're cute. Yeah. Yeah. You want to take care of it. Like you don't want to you don't want to compete over a mate or murder with it, it. Yep. yeah yep. and you want to like squeeze it be like oh so and so the idea is that individuals that still looked childlike survived sexual maturity long enough to produce individuals that like it was selected for mm-hmm. child it was positively selected for yeah and i mean the word childishness is a little a little misleading but it's just the physical characteristics of a juvenile um that that so like, sort of like like chubby promoted and like <laughs> i don't i can I'm, only I'm speak to, to the skulls i don't know i yeah, don't know how so, squeezable those cheeks are like it's not it's not smaller right it's not no like no looking no the like individuals... a child it's just having those proportions. juvenile okay mm-hmm 
Yeah, it's the proportions of a juvenile in the size of an adult. So once you grow to adulthood, you still have some of the features that suggest a, a younger animal. And so the overall social fabric of the group is is just more chill. So Artipithecus was super chill, but uh -huh. were they bipedal? Because like Chad was maybe bipedal. Are these guys bipedal? Right. So remember Chad, <laughs> as we're as we're calling Silanthropus chadensis, was maybe possibly habitually bipedal because of that foramen magnum. Right. Here's What's their foramen magnum like? Also centrally-ish located. There are bipedal specializations in the Artipithecus fossils. Um, and on this planet right now, humans are the only extant mammals that are habitually bipedal, meaning that the, our primary form of locomotion is walking on two legs, unless you're a baby or an old man oh, walks God, on four don't. legs in the morning, <laughs> two legs in the afternoon. Okay. Um, <laughs> so in the next episode, we're going to get to the Australopiths and a more detailed discussion of the evolution of features that are markers for bipedality. But just as a teaser, because they're are, getting they're getting more humany. They are as getting we get, more as and we more get closer to Homo sapiens, like they get steadily more humany. Yes, that okay. is the trajectory. Um, so the evolution of bipedalism is accompanied by major evolutions in the spine. So that has to do with the position of the spine relative to the head, so that the forward movement of that foramen magnum in, in terms of its position on the skull. Not that it moves, mm -hmm. it doesn't move, but over the course of evolution, the position moves. So it's centrally located. And also there are uh, differences in the angle of your femurs. This, is, this has to do with this is something called the bicondylar angle. Um, mm. And it has to do, yep. And it has to do with the, um, so your femur is a ball and socket joint. So your your femur has a, a projection coming off of it. It's just called the femoral head. And it's an, a little ball that fits nicely into the socket of your hip. And it allows the leg rotation that lets us walk. So the angle at which that ball comes off of the, the top part of the femur has to do with how your weight is distributed when you're standing. And so if you look at a chimp and you look at a human and you look at their femurs, a chimp's femurs are angled straight up and down. They're pretty much exactly perpendicular to the ground. When you look at a human, our femurs start at our hips and actually go inward towards our knees. So there is a definite angle of the femur angling inwards. And that is an evolution, an evolutionary characteristic that is directly related to bipedal locomotion. Hmm. So that's just a teaser for a more detailed discussion of how locomotion developed, how how we turned into the upright walkers that we are today. And we're going to talk about the Australopiths, all of them. There are a lot of them. And then we're going to move from the Australopiths into our direct ancestors in the genus Homo. And that'll be next episode. So we hope you are enjoying this series so far. And we will get back at you next week. As always, you can put us in your ears via SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast platform of your choice. And you can follow us on Facebook over at The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we are at The Dirt Pod. Yep. And you can find all that together on our website, thedirtpod.com. And you can send us emails with questions, comments, thoughts about humans at thedirtpodcast at gmail.com. You can also 
support us on Patreon. You can become a monthly subscriber or a single-time donor. Either way, we'd be extremely grateful. You can do that at patreon.com slash thedirtpodcast. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.